Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. Now, if you've been following me, you know that one of the things we do before we actually be in conversation with our guest co-host is we provide an official um, reading of their bio because it's so important to me for you all to know the accolades, the credentials, and the experience in which our guest co-host show up to the conversation. So today will be no different. And I am introducing today Dr. Dana Murray Patterson. She is the inaugural vice president and chief diversity officer at Wingate University near Charlotte, North Carolina. Formerly the director of intercultural affairs at Western Carolina University, Dr. Patterson has over 30 years of progressive leadership experience in higher education with the emphasis in cultural studies and social thought. Dr. Patterson is an outspoken champion for justice, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and is well known for her ability to motivate and inspire others. She earned her BA in social science from Berea College and an MA in community counseling and student personnel at Eastern Kentucky University, as well as her PhD in higher education administration from Washington State University. Her research focuses on lived experiences at the intersection of race, gender, and intellectual identity development. In addition to being a non-traditional educator and administrator, Dr. Patterson is also a celebrated spoken word artist, published author, and performer of dramatic interpretations of both music and literature. She has four adult children, including three daughters and one son and a daughter-in-law. She currently resides in Marshville, North Carolina, and enjoys karaoke and consulting in her spare time. I love how well-rounded our guest co-host is today, but you know what to do right now, podcast community. Let's find those, those, those words of affirmation. Let's go to pulling those reactions and those emojis, but let's help Dr. Patterson to know how appreciative we are to have her here today with us as our guest co-host. I'm going to stop sharing my screen so that she and I can be front and center as we engage in conversation today. Welcome, Dr. Patterson. Thank you so much for being here. And I'm going to give you a chance to greet this audience in your own way. But I will tell you that one of the things that we love for our guest co-host to do is to find something that maybe we have not socialized through reading of your bio or even going to your profile, your LinkedIn profile and reading it that you would like to share with this community. Welcome, thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Dr. White, for having me. It is such a pleasure to be here um, on this very intentional platform uh, where you have chosen to lift the voices of others around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. I think it's very important. And so I applaud you for having this platform. Um, certainly, I would, uh, I'm very happy to be here. Uh, a little bit about me that maybe you wouldn't be able to tell just by looking at my LinkedIn or my resume or, or, or the uh, beautiful bio that you just read. Um, thank you for doing that. Um, is that I am a preacher's kid, uh, originally from Tuskegee, Alabama. Um, my mother was from Memphis, Tennessee, and my father was from Birmingham, Alabama. And so I was kind of born right in the middle of a space that was very much so a hotbed for civil rights and for um, justice and fighting for justice. And so I like to sort of think about myself as being a person who was really born into this work. Uh, and it started for me from that very, very young age, being a champion for justice, thinking about um, how to work to uh, free others from oppression, as well as freeing myself from oppression. And so the work that I do is very humbling, um, but it's also what I feel is something that I um, was really born into doing coming from Tuskegee, Alabama. I love when people are walking in their passion and their purpose, and um, it sounds like you're doing exactly that. So I can't wait to delve in deeper to understand a little bit more about your journey and the impact that you're having um, on, on so many. Um, one of the things that we like to do here, Dr. Patterson, is if there's some news that's been circulating within um, the media for that particular week, we know that oftentimes, especially if it's relevant to you know the broad topic of DEIB, we know that it's top of mind for many that join this podcast community. And so 
as a, a higher education um, you know, individual and someone that's also very much into the space of DEI, I want to just bring to the conversation what we saw um, in the news this week regarding the Republican Speaker of Wisconsin Assembly um, and how they are blocking pay raises for University of Wisconsin employees unless the university cuts diversity, equity, and inclusion spending by like 32 million. So it's something that's outrageous. And while you may not be familiar with all of the details, I just want you to react to what you're, what you're hearing and what you're seeing right now, whereby there are many individuals who, because of, again, the um, Supreme Court ruling so long ago, are now taking extreme measures to really try to, you know, further block and eliminate the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And of course, it is starting directly within a lot of the, uh, the higher learning institutions. And so you're in that space. What comes up for you when you think about that? Wow. Um, so a lot comes up for me as a person who's worked in higher education spaces and as an educator in general for over 30 years now. Um, I think that it is really sad as I think about some of the ways in which um, some our political environment is trying to diminish the voices of those trying to educate around diversity. And a lot of times I think that people um, in general just sort of get afraid of that D word, the idea of diversity. They think that somehow it diminishes their own identity and it uh, takes away from their identity. And so I get excited about opportunities in education that really open the door to spaces where people can grow and develop um, a sense of critical questioning, yes. intellectual questioning mm -hmm. about their own journey as an intercultural being, as well as the journey of others. And so one of the things that I really work hard to help people build a capacity to understand themselves and others, but also one of um, a, a, a sort of a concept that I worked with a lot when I was at um, Western Carolina University was the idea of coexistence. And I think that if we could get that coexist model in our head, we wouldn't feel so threatened by uh, other people's identity. And I think that's one of the things that happens for folks when we start to talk too much about um, particular identities or those identities that are being oppressed in our society, then people start to feel that there's not going to be room in the conversation for their own identity, for their own achievements, and for them to be proud of who they are and how they show up in society. So I think that yeah. it's really important for institutions to remember what we were created Absolutely. for. We were created to be spaces where individuals could grow and how do we grow, but we gain new information. And new information is a part, you know, it's something that's available to us every day as we look at the, the diversity that we have available to us on most college campuses. Oh, absolutely. And if there's any environment that we want the growth mindset to be amplified, we certainly want it in higher learning institutions. And so that was so well stated, Dr. Patterson. And um, it just leads me to, to really think about how um, the impact that I'm sure you're having at Wingate University. And so you are the inaugural, as I mentioned in uh, reading your bio, Vice President and Chief Diversity Officer um, at the university. And so can you talk a little bit about what does the university's commitment in creating this role mean to you and, and what type of impact you've been able to have so far in this role? Certainly, it's my pleasure. And one thing I didn't share that I also use pronoun she and her. And so I want to be sure to put that out there. It's one of the ways in which I show up um, around my intersectional identities. And there are many of them. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I have been here at Wingate University uh, since last October. So almost one almost year. year. So it's coming up on my one year anniversary. And so I appreciate all of those that have wished me happy anniversary. But Wingate University was founded in 1896. And it was founded on the on the pillars of faith, knowledge and service, which I think are very important for a, um, a private uh, school and a comprehensive, independent growing university to be mindful of um, we have, we strive to be a place that really builds on student success. So we're a student success generator, a well-oiled machine, and a regional solutions engine. And I think, as I think about all of those 
very important roles in society. I think that Wingate University definitely has taken it very seriously in terms of the changing demographics and how our population of students is becoming more and more ethnically um, yeah. as well as uh, ethnically diverse, but also diverse with students just coming from different mindsets and bringing their entire selves to the space. And um, students no longer want to be able to ask to, to leave you know, part of their identities on the periphery or in the margins. They want to be able to bring all of who they are into those spaces where they're going to live and where they're going to learn. And so I think that Wingate University inviting and, and, and having um, this position as a chief diversity officer, um, having a very visible role that is here to not be the diversity police. That's what I've told my, yeah. my yeah. Uh, fellow uh, community members here at Wingate University that I'm not the diversity police, that I'm definitely right. on my own learning journey as well. And I make plenty of mistakes, um, but I, I'm welcoming those mistakes and I welcome others' mistakes because I think that's how we can grow. Yeah, no, I love I love these sentiments of not being the 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 DEI kind of police, and I think that is the perception that a lot of people have of those of us who are in this role. It's almost like we're the gotcha cops, right? We're we're, we're just looking to catch you in an act where you are compromising diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? And it's just so not the way to look at it. Uh, yes, we are consistently on our own learning journeys, and so thank you for bringing that to the conversation. So as we continue to talk a little bit about your experience with Wingate um, for almost a year now. And by the way, happy almost work anniversary. I know it's coming up soon. Um, I would love for you to share how has your university navigated the news of, of SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States, and in its ruling on affirmative action? And do you sense that there's going to be any significant changes in the way in which you all are going to navigate kind of the, the steps ahead? So Wingate University is a small uh, liberal arts University, um, and again, founded sort of on um, a concept of faith. Um, mm -hmm. And so they have been in the business of creating and sort of welcoming diversity for a very long time. Yeah. Um, about over half of our students uh, identify as first generation students, mm. in that um, they don't have um, one or both of their parents did not complete a four year um, college degree in the United States. Um, we also have about 41% of our students are Pell Grant eligible or Pell Grant recipients. Mm -hmm. And we've experienced about a 42% growth in our diversity just nice. in the last five years here at Wingate nice. University. So the infrastructure is changing a little bit. And as that is changing, I think Wingate University has been really intentional in their efforts to create spaces that are going to support this growth in diversity. And so as we're seeing that this is a destination location for many students that are nice. seeking a space where they can grow their academic careers and grow their intellect, but where they can also feel welcome and where they can feel that there's going to be uh, a space that um, makes them feel included and like they really belong here at Wingate University. And I think having a chief diversity officer on campus, having someone that's working to build bridges and to help create spaces and build our capacity for empathy, uh, which is really yeah. what I see my role as here mm -hmm. at Wingate, um, I think that is right on time. And I'm really excited about the opportunities that exist, about the possibilities, and also about the work that we've already begun. Um, this yeah. work did not start with me. And so I don't want to give any indication that they just started thinking about um, doing diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging work when I arrived on the scene. Um, many faculty, staff members, and student, student organizations and student groups have been doing this work for a very, yeah. very long time here at Wichita. No, I think that's I think that's wonderful. And thank you for highlighting that. Um, yeah, and it's definitely different dynamics when you are like a private institution versus a state funded institution in terms of the navigating of some of the recent news that came out of the Supreme Court. So so thank you for that. I want to move now and I want to talk about your book. 
divorcing the doctor, Black women, and their intimate relationships during the doctoral process. So um, this is all about exploring the intersection of race and gender in academia. So I would love for you to give us a little bit of additional insight into what, what inspired that for you as part of your, um, your research and as part of this book that came out of it. And what were some of the findings that you think is really salient to uh, socialize with this community? Yes. So um, I completed my dissertation um, back in 2006 at Washington State University, and I really had an opportunity to explore not only higher education administration, but cultural studies and, and social thought in higher education. So that was my mm -hmm. emphasis while I was there. So I'd like to say to folks that I got an opportunity to kind of understand all about higher education and then sort of be given the tools to critique and to question, gently question higher education and all that has been done and all that is being done to sort of either hold traditions in place that are no longer working or no longer relevant or to really you know, question some of those traditions um, and to make room for new ways of knowing and new ways of understanding the world. Um, so I decided to write all about, you know, my role and, and not just my role, but what I was experiencing as a very lonely place for Black women that were pursuing their doctorate degrees. Yeah. And so um, when I looked at divorcing the doctor, I wanted to really uh, examine how Black women were managing that process of getting through doctoral work. And I entered it with a big question. A lot of the women that I knew that had doctors, especially women of color uh, in particular, that had doctorate degrees, didn't um, they were also either physically divorced from a partner, they were not yet partnered, um, they didn't have children, um, or many of the relationships that they came into the institution intact, those relationships yeah. were no longer intact when they left the university or when they left that study. And I wanted to know what was happening during that process that created a, um, a space where women were not being able to hold on to and nurture those relationships through the process. And so I really looked at, you know, what are the different roles that women have, whether it's academic roles, roles in our family and in our communities, and also what are our responsibilities to the academy during this process. And mm -hmm. so I took that intersectionality, I spoke with eight women, who were in that process at the time um, during three separate interviews, in-depth uh, in interviews where we got to sit down and really talk about what this had been for them. And then I also yeah. did an introspective piece where I also looked at my own journey and shared that in relation to those women as well. Mm. So you're taking me back to when I was in that process, and it can be an incredibly lonely process and a very uh, grueling process. You know, I think that um, the saying of it's more about perseverance than anything is so true because it is, especially for women of color, right? There's not very many of us. I mean, granted, there's not very many in general, and I think it's something like, you know, two, two or three percent just in general of people with, with you know, Doc, doctorate degrees. And so it is a really hard journey. And I want you to talk a little bit about some of the things that you discovered from that research that um, that surprised you. Were there any similarities and differences in the insight that you discovered um, from the women that you actually interviewed? Oh my goodness, there were so <laughs> many insights that just came about. And I definitely uh, encourage folks that are looking at, you know, in their own research, intersectional identity, or looking at the value that Black women um, bring to higher education in general, because they do contribute to a very diverse community, and they contribute in very unique ways. So one of the things that I, I did find out when speaking to the women that I was working with um, was that all of them had these relationships that were intact. All of them had benefited from mentoring relationships and yeah. whether those mentoring relationships, sometimes they didn't look like traditional mentoring relationships. Sometimes we were mentored on a peer level by other women who are experiencing or sometimes even other uh, male-bodied folks who are experiencing similar uh, things as they matriculate through and are willing, and that's the big part for me, the folks that are willing to share that journey and willing to share and open up 
about what that experience has been and tell their truth. Um, and I think that sometimes, whether it be just sort of the nature of higher education or, and, and my daughter's uh, working on her doctorate degree right now. And so that's one of the things that I get to sort of um, answer mm -hmm. that question. Cause that was really the last question that I asked the women in my study that if your own daughter were pursuing a doctorate degree, what would you tell her? And yes. I tell the tears that came in that moment and even right now, as I think about my own daughter's journey and her struggle, I think about we were all very, very intentional in thinking about we had to be honest. We have to share that our truth. And so not only is it important for Black women to show up in these academic spaces, um, it is absolutely necessary. And so um, being prepared for what you might encounter as you walk through spaces that were not necessarily created with you in mind, um, then I think it's really important for us to share our truth with one another, um, to mentor one another. And so that was one of the big pieces that came up for me was that these women were really eager to share their story in the, in the effort of trying to support and help others who are also gonna have to come that way. Right. How do we protect and support the full turf, right? Because when one of us wins, all of us wins. And you use the word necessary to describe that mentorship, you know, mentality and willingness. And I think that word is so appropriate. Um, as I think about what I would tell my, my daughter, and I do have a daughter that um, she just completed her, her, her program at London School of Economics. And in the UK, when you're going through that process, they call it a dissertation, you know. Um, and so anyway, one of the things I said to her, was remember the goal here is to be done yes. and I kept saying that because you know that when you're going through that process it is very rigorous it is very time consuming mm -hmm. and there's so many different ways you can splice and dice the research and so you're going to have others that are you know on the academic side they're going to encourage you like your, your committee chairs to well look at it this way and look at it that way you can do all of that later but right now your focus is on getting it done and i remember when i was going through my process a mentor said that to me. She said, you, you're going to get all of these recommendations and suggestions. Take it in stride, but know where to file it away to go back to it later. But right now, your focus is to get it done. Yes, especially for those of us who are doing the program, maybe during the time where we're also working full-time jobs and raising children, and because that was my situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I appreciate you bringing that to the conversation. So how do you think, Dr. Patterson, um, that experience in writing that book and that research has informed your work in higher education? Well, it certainly made me more mindful of um, the things that you talked about right there, that people are, they're like multidimensional beings. Uh, we're not flat beings. We're not just academic. We're not just uh, intellectual beings, but we have whole lives that come with us. And so many of us are also partners. Many of us are also mothers or sisters or friends or parishioners or you know worshipers. Many of us also come into a space with other identities intact, um, relationships with our parents and with our uh, communities of faith. And we want those relationships to be intact when we leave the university. So we have to do the work to nurture those relationships, even during this process. And sometimes with communities that don't quite understand the nature of what we're doing. Um, I have a, I had, my chair used to tell me, you know, this, the higher education is very greedy. Uh, it will take all from you and it will just suck it all up. If you, any time and energy that you're willing to, to give, it will, it will take that from you. And so I think it's very important that especially Black women knowing all of the, all of the weight that kind of comes with being at this intersection of identity and also coming into a space that was not created with Black women in mind, um, that it's important for them to do self-care and to focus in on themselves as caretakers so that they are more able and um, more available to help care for their communities, which is a role that uh, many Black women have um, assumed, but there's also been, you know, some very intentional writing just talking about that ethic of care specifically for Black women, um, because we know that it's something that we have 
extended to a lot of other people. And so we have to take care of ourselves so that we can be good, so we can take care of others. It's so true, right? Put your oxygen mask on first. And it's not just about taking care of ourselves. It is it is radical self-care mindset that we need to adopt, right? And so I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer of that. I'm watching the chat and Ramona actually expressed, wow, this is such important work. The extra care work Black and other women of color faculty are expected to do, plus the constant pressure to prove one's place in the academy must take a toll on their personal relationships. And yes, you are absolutely correct, Ramona, it does. And that's why this conversation today is so very important. Um, and so it leads me actually to another, another question that's that's related, and that is, what do you believe, Dr. Patterson, are the most significant challenges and opportunities facing Black women entering higher education leadership for the first time? Wow. Well, that is a great question. Um, and I would, I would say I believe that there are um, one of the things that thinking about is just um, showing up authentically, authenticity. Um, and I love to see it now as I sort of look on college campuses, more Black women are embracing their natural beauty and their authentic selves, their authentic voice, yes. whether that be their very colorful personalities, how we show up in our, our dance, the way we talk, the way we articulate ourselves and the way we present ourselves. And we're not being willing to have that be silenced or diminished for anyone. Um, we are showing up in our full gear and we're saying, hey, I am here in my Afrocentric self and I am, I am gonna be uh, very proud of where I come from in my identity. I also think that it's really important for Black women to, to think about that idea of giving back and how we give back. And so mm -hmm. if we have an opportunity to help mentor others, that are in the pipeline, whether they be undergraduate students, whether they're master's students, whether they're other doctoral students, or whether they're people who are not in higher education in, at all, whether they are individuals who are part of our communities, that we don't forget um, where we came from and sort of the nature of why we do this work. Uh, one of my Native American um, friends, when I was a, a student at Washington State, she shared with me that from the Native American perspective, that those women, she said that my degree doesn't belong to me, it belongs to my people. And oh. so that was so powerful to That's me. That's very powerful. That, just to think about this work that we're doing, it doesn't just belong to us, it changes the trajectory of generations. And our, our, our ancestors dreamed about this moment, but they dreamed that we mm. also wouldn't forget and get lost in all the lights and all of the fanfare of sort of having a doctorate degree and remember that we were people first, um, that we're somebody's daughter, that we're somebody's mother, that we are somebody's friend. And sometimes we need to show up in those spaces. And like I talked about in my work, divorce the doctor and that identity of being this academic person so we can show up and be really, really intentional in our other relationships that are just as vital and just as important to who we are and to how we show up. And then I think, you know, as far as a, a third piece there, you know, one of the things that we just need to remember is to tell our truth. And so that's yes. one of the things that I've been sharing with my daughter recently. She, like I said, is a doctoral student and I have three daughters again, as you mentioned, um, and they are doing great work as well. And my son and my daughter-in-law in love. Uh, so I have to give them a little shout out. But one of the things that I've been really, really clear with my, my daughter about is that there will be a re resistance when you start to share your truth because your perspective is unique. And because the view that you come from and the view that you hold is very unique, that there will be resistance to your truth. Right. But regardless of that, you have to, and you are responsible for sharing from your perspective and always sharing your truth. And there's always a time and a place, um, you know, uh, and I think that this is a beautiful platform, again, that you've provided for individuals to come and to talk about the meaning making that happens when we're in these spaces, these academic spaces and the opportunities that we have. And just because we have a platform doesn't mean that we should be selfish about that platform, but we right. should use that to amplify the voices of those who may not also 
um, have those same platforms and not also given those same opportunities or have the privilege that we have and having had the opportunity to gain and earn a doctorate degree. And so um, keeping that centered, keeping that place really, really cognizant of and mindful of who you are as a person um, is something that I think is really important for Black women, for all women, for all students, and ultimately for all people. All people. So many powerful points you made um, as you were just sharing. And I love the, this is not for me, but it's for my people. And uh, that can bring about um, a vast range of, of emotions when you are, when you're holding that as a responsibility, right? Yeah. And, and let's face it, part of what people may experience when, when that is something that's top of mind for them, I'm not just doing this for me, but I'm doing it for my people, um, is it, it can, it can breed some level of intimidation, right? Some level of stress about I have to get this right. I have to show up, you know, in, in a certain way. And so I think it just goes back to what you said before, which is that that self care. How do we best position ourselves to do this? Because it does impact all of us. That's what I mean when I said we have to protect the full turf. It is something that we want um, all of our people to be proud of. And so thank you for um, for leaning into that and sharing. You're, you're definitely speaking my language today. So we are going to be shifting momentarily to take any type of questions um, from the audience or any way that you would like to contribute. If you're part of our Zoom community, you can let me know that you're interested in contributing by using the raise hand feature. And that lets me know that I can call on you and um, I can add you to our spotlight and you can unmute yourself and share. Otherwise, if you just would like to place your questions or contributions into the chat, we are paying attention to what's being added there and we'll certainly bring it into the conversation. If you're joining us LinkedIn Live, you also can go to the comments to share your questions, and we will bring that again into this space. And so while you're percolating, perhaps, on what curiosities you're holding or questions you may have for Dr. Patterson, um, I'm going to go to my next question for you. And this is all about your journey as a performance artist. I was so intrigued by that. And when I read your bio, just to remind us all, I talked about the fact that you you also a celebrated spoken word artist. We talked about being a published author, but also a performer of dramatic interpretations of both music and literature. And what I've come to understand, Dr. Patterson, is that you bring all of that into this practice of diversity, equity, and inclusion and education. And I want you to tell us a little bit about how did that come to be and how do you intersect the two and what kind of impact does it have when you do so? Well, thank you for that question. Um, I started off as a thespian or an actress, I think at a very, very young age, uh, being very intrigued with the world of theater and how it is that people were able to transform into a character um, that could then go on to garner attention and create spaces where people could be drawn into storytelling. And so a lot of my spoken word pieces that um, I started really focusing in on academic uh, spoken mm -hmm. word during my doctoral process, it became therapeutic for me mm. to find spaces where I could express what I was feeling and sometimes mm -hmm. the gravity and the weight of mm. what I was experiencing and not just what I was experiencing, but what others were experiencing. Right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it wasn't appropriate or it wasn't the time or the place to kind of speak these thoughts out loud or to say them. But I think that academic spoken word really gave me a new light to um, to shine, you know, a new way to shine the light on some of the injustices that I saw in higher education around mm. certain identities and around certain people. And so I end, ended my dissertation with a piece called Wait. Um, I need an interpreter, please. Uh, and I love that piece, but it's a little bit longer. And so I encourage folks to go and read that if you want to, if you're able to, to find that dissertation work um, at Washington State and sort of go back and, and look at that. If you go all the way to the end, um, I promised my grandmother that I would make that the work that I was doing, even though she didn't live to see me complete my doctorate work, um, but rest her rest in peace. Um, I did promise her that I would make it something that was accessible by those who are not just in academic spaces. Right. And so spoken word gives me an opportunity to do that, 
to break it down in a way that others can access this knowledge, that they can use this knowledge, and it can be of use in a world where it's not just uh, for books or for publications. And so I do plan on publishing with my daughter, perhaps some of the spoken word that I've done and that I've created, because over the years I have lots and lots of it. But I would love to share a little bit of a piece that I did um, back when I was in my undergraduate, I mean, not undergraduate, but in my doctoral work, that would have been a long, long time ago when I was in my undergraduate <laughs> at Maria, but um, I do have a piece that I wrote after having done some research with women of color in general. It was kind of the precursor to my doc mm. to my dissertation. And so is that okay if I share that with you? We would be so honored. And I'm looking right now, no hands are raised. So maybe people are still percolating or perhaps are just more curious right now to, to hear about this intersection of your work and with you know spoken word. And so we, we would love that, please. Absolutely. So um, again, I wrote this piece and it was untitled back then. I guess eventually I'm gonna have to title them all. Um, but this one again came based on some work and some research and interviews that I had done um, with women that were international and women that were also identified as multicultural. And so I dedicated it to them. And it starts, I was young, brown and female. So you did not see me. In the margins, searching empty spaces for a place to be me. Quenching fires ignited by my presence within these academic walls with tears born of humility. You did not see me standing there alone in the dark, waiting for those who would never come, although my light was bright enough to blind you. You did not see me holding young hands and old hearts to protect, guide, and nurture. You did not see me impregnated with this bastard seed of dominant discourse and academic excellence, trying to prove that my back was strong enough to carry us all. You did not see me so you counted me absent. I was young, brown, and female, so you did not see me. I was small, pale, and female, so you did not see, hear me. Anorexic voices bouncing off bulimic walls, crying out from hidden agendas, not strong enough to cut red tape, using foreign voices accented in all the wrong places to quiet all that was innate and crushing female parts within me regardless of the price that my soul would pay. Muffled screams that sounded like insanity left me gasping for air and searching mirrors for a sign of the woman that used to be me, denying my complexity as a woman of color equals survival when to acknowledge a place for me would mean sure death. You did not hear the whispering, the arguing and the pleading and the sighing, the laughing and the crying you did not hear the loud, awful silence. You did not hear me. So you labeled me mute. I was small, pale, and female, but you did not hear me. I was passionate, black and female, but you did not feel me. I tried to hold on to the lost tradition of caring, even when the consequences left me without respect and mentors willing to assume the collateral damage of being in my corner. You did not feel me pray for strength and direction as your, as your presence devoured mine and accused me of being the illegitimate love child of incompetency conceived by both affirmative and action. You asked me to call this cold place my home, yet you refused to hang my picture on the wall. You did not notice me shrinking to allow you to appear bigger, hushing so that your voice could roar, refusing to challenge so that you could be right. You did not feel me, so you decided that I could not feel. I was passionate, black and female, but you did not feel me. Now I am strong, educated and female and your ability to hear, feel and see me are as irrelevant and insignificant as you once considered me. Breathe, I am strong, educated and female and that is enough. Dedicated to multicultural women still fighting for the right to occupy academic spaces even in 2023. 
So that is one of my pieces. And again, I uh, I love to write. I love to thank you, thank you. Um, but I love to to use that space of just creativity using linguistics. Um, and again, I've I've, I've done uh, spoken word pieces and and pretty much interpretation of literature from James Baldwin's The A-Man Corner. I used to recite, I recite that from memory um, and learn those as children, as a teenager. Um, Harriet Tubman, Margaret Walker's poem, Harriet Tubman, um, just performed that for one of our community celebrations of um, Juneteenth in um, Indian Trail, just down the street from Wingate University. So have an opportunity to, I think, again, continue to um, work with various different audience, some that are, that would not even listen to the conversation if it was all about academics, but some that would see the art and spoken word and be able to locate themselves inside that voice as well. And so that's what I strive for as many different spaces as we can create where individuals can come and bring their authentic whole selves and know that all of that, all of who you are is so valuable. Not one part should be deleted. And just soaking all of this up. You are incredibly talented. That was that was beautiful. Beautiful to witness, beautiful to experience, beautiful to hear you you share it. And it was incredibly powerful. You did not see me. What I love about what you just shared, and I know you have so much more of, you know, so much more spoken work that you have developed, but I love that it's, it's teaching us, right? It's teaching us. And I think that the way in which you have in integrated the spoken word into um, the education system to help those who may not be aware of the lived experiences and the challenges um, of, of women of color in that space to become just a bit more knowledgeable about it, you know? And hopefully that will instigate deeper empathy and compassion, deeper ability and drive to want to help support in a really meaningful way um, as an ally. Yes. And so I love, I love that we're telling a story and um, and the story is actually real life experiences of people that are um, navigating a lot of complexity just to be seen. And so that was absolutely beautiful. There's a question about whether or not that's published anywhere where it could be shared. Like, so tell us, how can people be exposed to more of your spoken word um, pieces? Well, um, that's a good question. So that particular piece is not published anywhere. And as a matter of fact, um, the only piece that I really published as a part of my dissertation was um, my piece entitled Wait, um, which is at the end of my dissertation. Um, but I do plan to try and pull together a lot of my spoken word work, because I think, again, it does share so much about lived experiences. And yes. it's so rich in terms of its ability to paint a picture, uh, a very vivid picture of those lived experiences, the highs and the lows as well. And so it's not just about sort of the struggles that we've had to overcome, um, but it's also about some of the celebrations and the ways in which we celebrate how we show up in different spaces, for each other yes. and for ourselves. Um, and so my daughter has been encouraging me um, that we're gonna write together, we're gonna put something out there and we are going to create a book that really helps to continue to guide and to provide some, some guide rails and some support for others as they embark upon this academic journey because these spaces can be kind of brutal um, and this work and the process of being and becoming, uh, especially in academic spaces, it can be really challenging and daunting, but I love to encourage individuals. And so I love to see it when my students, uh, students that I've worked with, and again, haven't been in higher ed for over 30 years, many of the people that, many of the students that I encountered years and years ago are not are now also doctors, are now also yeah. practitioners and educators and contributing to the to the community in meaningful meaningful ways, uh, whether that is as teachers or whether that is as practitioners or whether they are you know contributing as partners and 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 parents 
um, of young people and teaching them some of the values and just helping them to be good people. And so I do plan to put some of that spoken word out right. there and see. Uh, and my daughter and I, we're going to write something. And so now, now the pressure's really on because I've spoken it out loud. Uh, so if she's listening or if she gets to hear this, then uh, Kayla, we're going to write that book. Um, and hopefully we'll have even some guest commentary from my other daughters, Jacqueline and Destiny. Um, and even if my son, Isaiah Tomo, his wife, want to contribute as well, I would love to have as many voices in that because I think there's a lot of intersectionality that can come from including more voices. So not less voices, um, as some people are saying should be the case in higher education right now, but we need to hear less voices. We need to quiet some voices. I want to illuminate, elevate, and bring to the forefront all of the voices because that way we get to hear from more and we grow from learning. And again, we understand that it's it, that it doesn't diminish anything about me and what I bring to the table to also welcome and to invite and to celebrate what you bring to the table. Absolutely. I so resonate with that message, Dr. Um, Patterson. And you actually shared this early on. You kind of alluded to the fact that as we are helping others, right? We need to make our platforms available and not feel afraid of the light that can shine through someone else's talent. You know, I mean, oftentimes I'm, I'm asked, so you, you're bringing on other practitioners that do the same thing that you do. I'm like, there's no competition here. There's so right. much work to be done. I love to amplify the voices, particularly of women of color, black women, very specifically, that are in this space that are doing good work because we need all of us to really help create the society that we deserve, right? And so I love that that is your disposition as well with um, the spoken word. And in fact, I, there's someone that comes to mind for me. Um, she's actually a really close friend of my daughter's and she's based in the UK, but she writes poetry and it just, it, it's giving me some similarities to how she really takes lived experiences and try to incorporate it as a, as a teaching um, element as, and also a way for her just to express her creativity. And so um, I, I, I just think that you're you're going to be a big inspiration to so many people and i hope that you are even though it's not published yet or yet is really important i hope that you are sharing some of it with like the students because i can see how valuable that could be you know knowing that i have someone here on campus that created this because she gets me she understands me i feel seen um Anyway, so Anne White, part of our community today, she shared, I feel like it would be really meaningful for women of color who've had similar experiences and also as a creative gateway for others to learn about these experiences and be more mindful of the needed change. And that was, of course, in reaction to all of us in this community saying, yes, publish, publish, publish. We are definitely a fan and we will, we will support you in that regard. Okay, so we are coming up on uh, the, the end of time, but we have maybe about six minutes left and here's what I would like to do, because I'm not seeing any, any hands raised. I'm not seeing any questions come through. I think people are just really still soaking up um, the, the piece that you just share with us. Um, and I would love for you to close us out in whatever way that feels appropriate to you. And I will say, I think my hope, and maybe this audience hope, is that maybe there's another snippet of, of a spoken word that perhaps you could close us out with. But I want to give you that liberty to decide for yourself. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Patterson. Absolutely. And again, thank you for having me. Thank you to all of my friends and family um, and all of those that are a part of this community doing great work right now. I know that you're out there watching and I pray that you're encouraged. I pray that I did our relationship and the intersection and the, the time and the impact that you've had on my life. Um, that I did that well and showed, you know, that in my show up today, um, that I am representing all of us, everyone who's had an impact on my journey and on my growth. Um, so many beautiful individuals. Um, and I would love to just share another little piece from, from um, Wait. Um, and I, it is a, a longer piece, but I am going to just jump right into kind of the last um but last little bit of it here, and then maybe it'll uh, resonate and it'll encourage folks to go out there and read the first part of it. Um, so it says, wait, before you charge another black woman admission to a show that she doesn't care to see, consider that the price she pays is not just her fee, 
Writing IOUs to her family, she borrows time that she has no means to pay back. Still, she, she, well, the interpreters are all off duty now. Checking her own pulse becomes a theme that reminds her of her humanness, but how the hell does she keep on doing this and what has become of her blackness? Can't she give you back this educated service? You placed it on her service, but the children that she births hurt too much. Still, we can't afford to wait because our sisters are smoking crack and our children will not grow back and our mothers are dying slowly, yet you're steady trying to show me that I am not strong enough. Our men act like they hate us as they physically and mentally rape us. Don't they know their greatness helped create us? Still, we watch their backs so faithfully and we lift them up so gracefully. Silent prayers where self-esteem used to be. Rising to an academic call that forces us to walk tall and won't let us think small in this white man's world and all. You see, we can't afford to fall. We are obliged to heed the call. Can't you hear them? The ones that had to die just so we can make it are the same ones that provide strength when we feel like we can't take it. That's why we refuse to sleep when others do. And we're handing this diversity challenge back to you. We've got too much damn work to do. <laughs> nursing babies while writing books and nursing egos while we're fighting off dirty looks. They question our right to even be here. Oh, I suppose it's probably still not clear. You see, we are intellectual masterpieces. The academic game didn't create us, but it needs us. I'll go ahead and say this, just in case this message reaches places that aren't yet gender racist. I can't believe I even have to say this. I am a black woman. Now, can I get an interpreter, please? My grandparents already paid the property fees. I need to know what others know, and I'm feeling a sudden urge to disrupt this show as I sit with my daughters on this front back row. An interpreter's intention, I, I think I need one. Oh, hell, never mind. I'm already done. I already got what you said I couldn't have, and I've already been where you said there was no path. I'm already running when you thought I couldn't walk, and I'm already singing, although I just learned how to talk. I'm already doing what I know I have to do and I'm already using the information I just gave you. But wait, <laughs> there are voices that haven't been heard yet and faces that haven't been set yet among the chosen few. Wait, because they, I mean, we have a story too. So, so this is, it's a pen, but this is the proverbial <laughs> mic drop. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you There's so nothing much. else left to say. Thank you. We're so honored. Thank you so very much for gracing us with your work, sharing your work and your insight, and just being here as your authentic self today. We are, we're truly better for having spent this time with you. Thank you all. Have a safe and wonderful weekend. Look forward to seeing you again next Friday for Intentional Conversations podcast.